Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Getting ready to represent Christ to your world today. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. And so we are reading Luke chapter 3. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Iturea and Trachaconus, and Licinius, tetrarch of Abilene, not Texas, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. All right, why does Luke put all of that in there? Because he wants you to know this all happened in the context of real history. This happened um, in the context of a historical setting, a real period of time. You could look back through the annals of the Roman uh, history and find this if you needed to. Luke then goes on to say, he went into all the region. uh, He's talking here about John, remember, son of Zechariah and Elizabeth. Remember him? We read about him in Luke chapter 1. Go back and reread that if you have already forgotten uh, who this John is. Luke says, he went into all the region and around the Jordan proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, it's worthy uh, to spend a little time thinking about that. A baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. What does that mean? How is that differentiated from the baptism in which we are baptized in Christ Jesus in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit? Um, It is a different baptism, and it's worthy of consideration spending a little time uh, thinking about what it was that John was calling people uh, to do. He was calling them to a a cleansing of preparation, proclaiming a baptism of repentance um, uh, for the forgiveness of sins. And he didn't really know um, exactly how that was going to happen, but he hearkens back to the words of the prophet Isaiah, which is the next verse. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill shall be made low, the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. It goes on uh, to talk about John and uh, the, the ways in which he was confronting the sin of his day, um, what crowds asked of him, and how John was pointing beyond himself to another yet to come. Uh, you and I know that that person is Jesus, and the chapter goes on to, um, to, to talk about that. People question in their hearts whether or not John might be the Christ, might be the Messiah, And John answering them, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and gather the wheat into the barn and the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. I mean, there's some great stuff in Luke chapter 3. It's worth reading today. It then covers the genealogy of Jesus, also worthy um, of our consideration. Here's some questions that I might encourage you to ask uh, or discuss with someone else. 
about Luke chapter 3. And again, we're reading through the Gospel of Luke during the season of Advent. You can join us. Just go to MyFaithRadio.com. Join in the Advent reading today. Being December the 3rd, we are in Luke chapter 3. I want you to consider the particular time and place in history recorded here in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, It's a reminder of what it says in Luke chapter 1 about John. Um, Go back and reread that if you need to. Read this passage in conversation with the other gospel writers and what they say about John the Baptist. Remind yourself of of who he is, what he proclaimed, how he's related to Jesus, how he died, uh, how he sent his disciples to follow Christ. Look up the passage that's quoted by John from the prophet Isaiah. How does connecting the New Testament to the Old Testament help us understand that all 66 books of the Bible are really declaring one redemptive story? Maybe you could move to a conversation about Jesus's genealogy. Discuss that in conversation uh, with the genealogy presented in Matthew's gospel. What is your genealogy? Where does Jesus fit into all of that? Maybe you also might want to consider what the Apostle Paul says about Jesus and Adam in Romans chapter 5, as this genealogy of Jesus goes all the way back to the son of Adam, the son of God. Luke chapter 3 on this day in Advent. Ben Johnson from the Acton Institute is up next. My right, a right given by God to live a free life, to live in freedom. Joining me in conversation now, Ben Johnson from the Acton Institute. You can find him at Acton, A C T O N dot O R G. Ben, welcome back. Good to be with you again. Happy Advent. And to you as well. All right. So um, we got all kinds of things to talk about today. Let's, um, let's start with California, uh, churches in California readying themselves to defy uh, the, the governor of California after the ruling by the Supreme Court. Bring people up to speed. What's going on here? Well, let freedom ring. You know, these churches in California if they are located in purple zones, are not allowed to meet in person at all. Uh, what they are what they are currently looking at is a ruling from the Supreme Court that came just before uh, the very morning of Thanksgiving. The Supreme Court, in a 5-4 decision, in a decision called Roman Catholic Diocese of Brooklyn v. Cuomo, said that Governor Andrew Cuomo couldn't forbid uh, a certain number of people from gathering in person to worship because his his particular guidelines were unconstitutional, they unduly burden religion as compared to other uh, other uh, uh, businesses. So uh, in New York, if you were in a red zone, you could only have ten people in person, and if you were in an orange zone, you could only have twenty five people in person. In California, right now, if you are in a purple zone, uh, you could have zero people, and no exaggeration, ninety nine percent of the state is currently in a purple zone. So it's hard to see how it's possible uh, for for that kind of a stringent uh, and exacting uh, measure to continue to stand now that the Supreme Court has said that a limitation of 10 or 25 uh, is overly restrictive, particularly on buildings. In some cases, uh, this lawsuit was brought by a combination of Roman Catholics and uh, Orthodox Jewish people. And the two, the two together had facilities that in some cases could seat more than 1,000 people. Certainly in California, the home of so many megachurches, uh, they could probably seat even more than 1,000 people at a time. Uh, so certainly they could 
they could safely socially distance more than zero people on a Sunday and still be safely within guidelines. Uh, so it's hard to see how this would pass constitutional muster. Uh, so a lot of a lot of churches are going to go forward and say this no longer applies. The Constitution has spoken and the Supreme Court has enforced the Constitution. Uh, now that uh, Amy Coney Barrett is on the court, it makes a big difference. And there's no question they're carrying out the founding fathers' uh, ideals here. You know, John Adams uh, wrote to Dr. Benjamin Rush that nothing is more dreaded than the national government meddling with religion. But it's no it's really no better when the state government's meddling either. Yeah, um, I mean, there's no question about that, right? I mean, we have uh, the way that the founders envisioned the relationship between the church and the state would be that those of us who are people of faith would have um, an influence, uh, actually, that our faith would influence the common life for the common good. Um, And what we are increasingly seeing um, are people who believe that the influence of people of faith is contrary to the common good, and therefore it must be squashed out um, by government. And I just, I think that people need to be aware that that reversal has pretty well taken place. Um, And so we as people of faith need to continue to press forward in terms of um, the rights that we have to express our faith in every area of life. And it is every area of life. It, it's not simply related to church, but it certainly begins at the church door. Uh, you know, there's no question uh, there, it's impossible not to gather in some way and not to have someone in church and, and uh, to, to be able to constitute the body of Christ. Uh, you know, the, uh, the body of Christ uh, is, is universal, it's spiritual, but uh, Jesus said, when two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. So you have to have more than more than zero people in the congregation in order to effectuate that according to Christ's commandment. Uh, that could be open to dispute. There may be people who disagree with that, but but that's my understanding. It's the historical Christian understanding that we should not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Uh, that certainly Christ can work in mysterious ways across uh, people who are isolated and in in uh, situations where they're alone. But nonetheless, he primarily works through his body. And it's impossible to carry out his command without carrying out that commandment that we assemble on the Lord's day and give him praise, thanksgiving, and worship, including with uh, singing and making merry uh, in our hearts and singing to, singing, uh, to him with songs and hymns and spiritual songs. All right, Ben, let's take a very brief break. When we come back, let's pivot to a conversation about um, the influence that parents have in their children's education here in the United States of America and places where um, the influence of parents is being sidelined. That conversation up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Continuing my conversation with Ben Johnson from the Acton Institute. Ben, let's um, pivot our attention to Washington State. Um, tell our listeners what is happening there in terms of um, parental influence in in the ways that schools are providing health care for teenagers. Well, to give credit where it's due, when you and I were talking about this uh, via email, you used the proper term, parents' influence is being erased when it comes to uh, their ability to uh, to know what's going on in the lives of their children. In Washington State, since January, children have had the ability to uh, use their parents' insurance to uh, get a hold of uh, transgender uh, and g- gender uh, uh, changing drugs and and uh, and so on uh, again at their parents expense but without their parents consent 
Now they, uh, there's a bill pending that would put clinics into middle schools and high schools where children could get these drugs directly in the school without their parents being notified of it occurring. So not only do the parents not have to consent to their children uh, potentially taking body and, and uh, uh, life-changing hormones and so on that would have an effect that we do not know what the, the permanent effect of these drugs is on those children, but uh, they have the ability to do so at their parents' expense without their parents even knowing that it's going on. Uh, it's a major invasion of the, the, the state into the parent-child relationship. God, in all of his wisdom, entrusted the upbringing of children to two people, a mother and a father. The state was not listed as a particular uh, overseer in this relationship. Uh, but uh, this has been going on in varying states. The state of Oregon has had a, an arrangement like this, uh, allowing children to obtain transgender services, including surgery, irreversible surgical procedures from the age of 15 up. Essentially what the state is saying is, that transgender status is so holy that no one, including the parents, have any right to change or intervene in this decision once it has been made by an underage minor who doesn't have the ability to make any other life-altering decision. Parents um, uh, are having a hard time across the country, not just uh, on this particular issue, but also in uh, an issue that has arisen in Boulder um, in terms of what's being taught in school um, but I want to pivot quickly to a conversation that um, that's taking place and it's going to be considered by the, the Supreme Court of the United States. And it is about um, who is listed on a child's birth certificate. And so at issue uh, is a case in Indiana. Uh, tell people what's going on here. Sure. And, and by the way, just one one stray thought on uh, that Boulder situation. Uh, where children were uh, subjected to uh, an assembly that was affirming transgender propaganda. They were not allowed to opt out of it. The, the individual who held that ceremony uh, in front of everyone said, and this is a quote, one of the parents is like, this is incompatible with my Christian faith. And I am like, the message of the play is around the importance of unconditional love, which is the message of your faith. Mm. As I understand the current status of Supreme Court precedent and, and binding law, the school has no business telling school children the definition of their religious faith. So, uh, right that, or parents? Me, I itself, mean, by extension, right? Well, I mean, there is a person who is not a person of of faith saying what people of faith. Um, this is what your faith uh, says, and so if you are uh, arguing otherwise, you're wrong. Like it's it's bananas. Anyway, go ahead. And, and go ahead with the in, Indiana in story because it's forum, even and, and doing it in a public forum at taxpayer expense. In Indiana, this, this is really illustrates the power of media misinformation. The headline from mm. NBC News says, gay parents shouldn't both be on children's birth certificate, Indiana AG argues. What's happening, the, the, the attorney general of Indiana, an African-American gentleman named Curtis Hill, uh, has said that uh, the birth certificate in Indiana has a place for two names, and they should include the child's mother and the child's father. That's the fully radical position that's being uh, lambasted in the media. Now, uh, all that's happening, there, there's a, a lesbian couple that are, uh, have a legal union, and they want both of the women to be listed as the child's parents. Curtis Hill is saying that one of the people who's listed should be the father. Now, what if the child grows up one day and wants to know who her father is, or whether she has a predisposition to certain diseases, or if she needs to know whether she should be tested for sickle cell anemia or Tay-Sachs disease? The only way for her to have any accurate information about one half of her DNA, half of her life, is to have the accurate name of the biological father and mother 
listed on the birth certificate. I realize that doesn't always happen in every situation. Those records can be difficult to access in some cases. But nonetheless, the only way that the state can guarantee that this occurs, whatever it may be, is to assure that uh, that child has accurate access to uh, information about their own biology. And that shouldn't be too high a bar for the state. But uh, apparently they've decided to make this literally a national federal case. Uh, asking that uh, the Indiana AG just erase the father entirely caters to the feelings of adults at the expense of children. And it also requires the state to participate in an act of deception, saying that one of these women who is not biologically related to the child is in fact the essentially the stepfather or adoptive father of, of the child and erases the father from the equation entirely. For, for a, a group that speaks so much about erasure, this is literally the erasure of one half uh, of the donor DNA that is involved in this child's life. Yeah, complicating this, Ben, um, is, is the entire um, fertility industry. Um, because I, I imagine that in many of these cases, the identity of the biological father is actually not known and almost never listed. Um, I mean, I, I could be wrong about that. Maybe what we need now um, are not birth certificates, but like biological certificates. I mean, maybe we need DNA certificates um, because we have a lot of children now who are not born, many, many children who are not born in the context of, uh, you know, a, a, they weren't conceived in, in the context of a marriage between one man and one woman. And that's not they were conceived by a man and a woman. Well, they were conceived by the DNA of a man and a woman, but they weren't necessarily conceived in any way that would be considered the natural outflow of um, a biblical union. And so, I mean, maybe we just need to rethink this. I mean, obviously, Christians are going to not like this idea because we would prefer that everybody adopt our morality. But we now live in a country that is not following uh, you know, Christian moral standards anyway. So maybe it's time to adapt as a nation and have biological certificates instead of traditional birth certificates. Yeah, and, and I recognize, you know, sometimes there are situations where an unmarried couple, which is becoming uh, the majority situation into which children are born in this country, unfortunately, sometimes the, the uh, father is not listed at all, or sometimes the individual who is listed is not the biological father. I recognize that's happened in many cases. But uh, to the extent that that information is known and can be accurately verified uh, by all parties, uh, you know, uh, we need to assure that children have access to that information as they grow up. Because children naturally want to know, you know what, who, is, who is this half of my life? Uh, and, and quite often, particularly when we're talking about the fertility industry, sometimes the information that's provided is wrong. Uh, there was a fertility doctor who uh, substituted his, himself uh, and then just uh, wrote down that uh, these samples came from people with great IQs or, or tremendous accomplishments. But in fact, they were choosing the doctor himself in every one of these cases uh, that, that went to trial, of course. But, but uh, that, that information is not known, uh, and, and it needs to be known for the sake of the child. We have to remember that our, our society is oriented around the needs of the child, that marriage exists for the sake of the children themselves, not for adults, not for their companionship, but very, very definitely for the good of the child. And all this information needs to be available to them for their, their health, if nothing else, let alone their mental well-being. 
Ben Johnson, as always, thank you uh, so much. We appreciate your insight uh, and the clarity with which you think through the issues of the day. That's Ben Johnson. You can find him at the Acton Institute, A-C-T-O-N dot O-R-G. You can also find him on Twitter. He he blogs. He, well, he is. He tweets at the rights writer. We'll be right back. How are you praying your way um, through this holiday season? My prayer list is quite long. I have added a listener to it this morning um, whose family is having some particular struggles and texted in and asked for prayers. Her son has a lung disease um, and has been in the hospital for 10 days. And uh, her mother is going into a memory care unit. Um, just a lot going on right now uh, in the midst of this holiday season. So we want to be praying for each other. We want to be gentle with one another. Um, we want to be listening well to one another. Let's um, let's be uh, let's be praying. Let's be praying today um, for all of these concerns. Uh, Kathy Branzell joins me next. She is uh, she heads up the National Day of Prayer Task Force. We're going to talk about. Um, prayer in the season of Advent. We're going to lift up hymns like, let us come, let us adore him. We're going to consider how we might pray our way into the presence of the Advent of the King. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Joining me now, Kathy Branzell from the National Day of Prayer Task Force. She tweets at PrayCat. Kathy, welcome back. Hey, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. So um, let's talk today about praying our way through the holidays. Um, yes. I, I just, it just seems as if there are lots of things to be praying about and for. Um, mm-hmm. Set us up to pray maybe in the season of Advent, um, in hopeful anticipation of the one who is coming. Mm, I love that. So, uh, yes, there are so many things to be praying for and about, but I'm going to back us up to the beginning of our prayer time. Cause you know, I'm, I'm getting emails from people that are saying I'm weary from praying. Mm. I'm mm. tired of praying. And it's like, okay, well let's, let's back up and let's enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. You know, thanksgiving sets us up for the Advent season to come let us adore him. It sets us up for uh, coming into his gates with thanksgiving and then his courts with praise. So I'm going to just ask all our friends out there to continue this season of thanksgiving. We are blessed, period. And I, I you know, and, and that might hurt to hear, but I can even say that even um, as my mother spent Thanksgiving in the hospital, um, you know, it's not our our Thanksgiving and our praise isn't based on circumstances. It's based in Him, and God is unchanging. His love for you is unchanging, and so let that be your um, your center, your core. Uh, your plumb line, your beginning point, 
And as you thank him and as you come adore him, just like the wise men did, just like the shepherds did, just, um, you know, come to him and start telling him everything you love about him because he's unchanging, his attributes are unchanging. And so start making that adoration list when you just don't feel like asking. That's great. I mean, think about it uh, for those of us who have kids or we work someplace where people only come talk to us when they want something, when we can do something for them. That's not a relationship. And we really don't look forward to seeing them when they walk in the room because, you know, they're just about to ask you for something. Just come in and say, hey, I just want to thank you, Lord. And I adore you because you are my creator. And then take it from there. One uh, one way to do this, we might just uh, remind people that, you know, you can you can literally do an ABCs list. So come up with attributes of God that, um, you know, that fill out the entire alphabet um, or do the same thing with the names of God. It gets us uh, out of the list of things that are uh, problematic and troubling, and it reminds us of who God is, and he is always worthy to be praised. So uh, one of the things we're doing at our church right now, Kathy, in, um, is we're spending Advent in Romans eight thirty one, and we mm-hmm. are simply reminding ourselves of the all things, the all things that come uh, with Christ. And yes. you know, forgiveness, forgiveness leads that list, but um, there are so many um, spiritual blessings that flow from the reality of being a person who has received the good and gracious gift of God in Jesus Christ. And so I think that even just reframing the conversation from time to time, reminding us that when we're counting our blessings, we're not just, um, you know, counting our friends. We are actually counting all that comes with Christ. Um, And that's a bounty. That is a bounty no matter where we are or what's going on circumstantially. Yes, it's eternal and it can't be taken away. Hmm. Amen. Mm, that's good. That's good. Um, talk with us um, about, you know, like taking a hymn and mm-hmm. praying our way through it. So um, yes. I know that you're you're thinking about "Come, Let Us Adore Him." I'm uh, "Oh Holy Night" is my favorite hymn this Ooh, time of year. Mm-hmm. So let's just let's just talk about how we can use hymnody and the Christmas yes. carols to pray our way into and through this season. Mm, Yeah, I mean, think about even joy to the world, the Lord has come. Um, And so I I would even take that and then um, write down scripture that that your worship that uh, expands on that, that is the foundation of that Uh, and, and start doing a word search. Take those words of worship. And, and take them into your prayer room. Take them into your prayer time. Again, when you don't know what to say, when you don't know what to pray, just sing. Somebody's written the words for you. And uh, there's no shame in that. God loves our worship. It's a sweet aroma to his nostrils when we live in that attitude, in that action of no matter what our earthly we can sing to you because of our eternal. No matter what's going on with men, we can sing to you. We can adore you. We uh, live fruit-filled lives because of you. And so take those hymns and just sing them. And if you just want to sing them over and over again, um, then do that. Do that with others and carry that song and those scriptures in your heart as you go through your day. 
Yeah, I'm reminded that there's an Advent playlist fo- uh, posted at thegospelcoalition.org. If you need a soundtrack for the season, um, maybe that would be a place that you could look. Um, if you just go to thegospelcoalition.org or you just Google Advent playlist. Um, I think sometimes, Kathy, we just need resources, right? We need, we yes. need a little bit more than the countdown Advent calendar um, yep. uh, and, 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 and Advent. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Nothing wrong with I'm that, not, but. I'm not a fan of that one. I do I do like the one this year that was available where you had like a little cheese every day. Ooh, I'm just yes, saying, I, I know. Yes. Yeah, right. See, like, taste and see that the Lord is good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but carrying that over with our kids, I know we might need to take a break, but I do want to talk about some things that we can do as families mm, to bring good. joy in the season as well. All right, let's take a very brief break. And when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Kathy Branzell. And we're going to give um, some suggestions of Christmas activities, maybe even some new traditions that we might think about starting together. Uh, You are listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. Have you ever heard of something getting lost in translation? Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. Sometimes things get lost when they're translated from one language to another. For example, you might have heard of the movie from the 70s called Greece, But in Argentina, the title was translated as Vaseline. See what I mean? Parents often run into the same problem when communicating anger to their teens. If your son blows it big time, you might say, I'm really disappointed in you right now. But teens' minds have a tendency to translate that line to, I don't love you anymore. So how can you keep your words from getting lost in translation? Maybe give this phrase a try. I'm upset with you right now, but I want you to know I love you, and nothing you can do will ever change that. You'll find ministry updates and lots of practical help for your family from Mark Gregston at ParentingTodaysTeens.org. Knowing that I was going to uh, talk with Kathy Brenzel this morning about some ideas or suggestions of Christmas activities that might even become new traditions, I made a list, but I want to hear yours first. Kathy, what's on your suggested list of Christmas activities or new traditions this year? Oh, I love this. Okay, so we, uh, one of our national area leaders at National Day of Prayer, um, she runs an arm for us called Children in Prayer for America. And she had this great idea that she's going to implement at her church and within her own family, where she teaches about the nations, that she um, gives each child the name of a nation, a country, and shows them where it is on the globe. And they write that on like a a travel label, like a a suitcase, you know, a name label Mm -hmm. or um, something like that. And they make it into a Christmas decoration and they hang it on a Christmas tree. And then when everybody has put their nation on there and prayed for that nation, you know, Lord bless Israel, Lord bless uh, whatever their country is. Then at the end, they turn on the Christmas tree and um, talk about Jesus being the light of the world. So I love that idea. And then it just sprang in like kudzu in the South, um, all these different ideas for us. And and you can do this with neighbors. You could do this with your niece and nephews, your grandkids, uh, or just do it yourself, quite frankly. And um, so we were talking about adoring him 
praise. Praise is God's attributes, who he is. And so maybe you just cut simple shapes, or if you have older children um, that you're in contact with, it could be quite elaborate, and you can make a decoration, uh, multiple decorations, one a day leading up to Christmas and the whole Advent idea, and put it on the tree with the name, a word of adoration, so that you fill up your tree and you have an adoration tree. You could also make garland and uh, put people's names uh, of who you're praying for and what you're praying for. Maybe on one side of the, the strip of paper is the person's name, and on the back side is a scripture or a prayer prompt that you prayed for them. And then I would you could do that with the decorations too. And then after Christmas, um, you know, we all send out Christmas cards, or at least some people do. Um, still in that tradition, but I would encourage you to mail that person their link of the garland or their decoration that was on your Thanksgiving, your prayer, your adoration tree, and let them know that you prayed for them over the holiday season. Mm. Now, maybe you use it as a prayer prompt and your kids walk up to that tree and they pray for everyone on the tree or they pray for everyone in that link. Um, you mentioned the names of God. I, I love that. You can find a lot of Advent names in various places, the names of Jesus to pray. Um, but make, you can make this as simple or as elaborate as you want. But we know that children, there's a lot of talk in the news right now about children suffering through this pandemic, their isolation, how school's weird, how everything's weird, their schedules are blown, all of this. Well, instead of talking about how stressed they are, start talking about how blessed they are. And we need to do this as adults, but then we need to model it and then help our children walk through it to remind them um, of all of God's um, attributes, who he is and how he's unchanging, how much he loves them, and let them write it down and be reminded every day through the season and beyond how much they are blessed. I love that. Um, so on the subject of Christmas cards, um, I think that this is a good year to start doing them again, even if you even if you stopped doing them for a period of time. Um, it is it is such a blessing, particularly for older people and people who are single or isolated, to get something in the mail. And kids mm -hmm. love to get something in the mail as well. So I want you to think yeah. really broadly, if you're listening, about how you might send Christmas cards this year. Um, one of the things that we do, um, I get out the the little sleigh that has all the Christmas cards we received last year. So that is currently sitting on, on my kitchen table. And we will go through and pray for the families who sent us cards last year. Mm -hmm. And then as we address this year's Christmas cards, we pray for those families. We pray for those individuals and those people. And one of the things we take note of, Kathy, um, are those situations where, you know, there's uh, there's a Christmas card that we got last year and there's um, one less person in that family this year or that yes. family, you know, that individual is no longer um, living uh, on, you know, not not here anymore um, in heaven. Right. Um, yeah. And so it gives us an opportunity to pray over the concerns of people as well. Um, and then uh, one of the other things that I just want to commend to people as you uh, as you start decorating the house, I think we tend to just get all the decorations out at once and put them all up. Um, I'm going to encourage you to slow down and maybe make it more intentional. 
and talk with your kids in particular or your grandkids about why you put up certain decorations, why you do certain things, um, why you wrap gifts, why you buy gifts, why you put lights on the tree or on the house, why you have a tree. Um, Mm -hmm. And then the, the nativity scene or the crash, one of the things that I have really fallen in love with uh, in terms of a tradition is is taking them out intentionally one by one and only mm-hmm. adding them after we have talked about that character and that character's experience um, in the, you know, in the Advent story. And so, you know, first we get out the angels and we and we read the, you know, the story of of the angels and then we just talk about their experience. What do you think that was like to be a part of the angelic host who had longed forever um, for the kinds of things that that we experience in Jesus, like the, and and how stunned they must have been, and how many questions yeah. they must have had, and just and just allow our holy imagination to roam around with the experience of the angels. Then we do the same thing with the shepherds, and then I'm um, I'm a particular I have a particular fondness for the little sheep and the donkey and the camels that are in my mm-hmm. uh, crush, and so you know it's a an opportunity to remind one another that um, God is the God of all creation. And yes. that all creation groans with eager longing for man's redemption. And so what mm-hmm. was the experience of those sheep um, or that donkey who, you know, Mary carried Jesus, but so did that donkey. Um, mm-hmm. And what was the experience of that donkey? And in just, just things like that. Um, what were right. the conversations that those camels overheard as they carried um, the wise men, you know, following that uh, natal star. I mean, just on and on and on and on and on. So, um, and then on Christmas morning, we finally add the baby Jesus to the scene. Mm-hmm. Yes. So oh. it's probably not uh, unique to us, but it is one of the things that allows the um, uh, allows the scene to come together, and it allows us to rehearse those stories and even look them up if. You know, if there's a child that doesn't know the story, let's say, of the wise men, it gives us an opportunity to intentionally look that up and read it. Yes, I love that. And, you know, they're not just decorations. That's they're right. reminders. Um, we have we have several trees in our house, but one of them is what we call our travel tree. So when we go places, because we before COVID, we lived on the road, and plus we were military, so we had lived all over the place. And instead of buying a T-shirt or a coffee mug or some other souvenir, we've bought a Christmas ornament. And so we go back every year and put these ornaments on our travel tree and remember the people we were with, Mm. um, the things that we did, and um, pray for that country, that state, that city, wherever we were. um, as, As God prompts, I love that. You know, mm. one one other uh, one other thing that we could start doing as well. I know so many people take uh, their kids to see Santa or write Santa a letter, uh, telling him how great they've been this year and what they'd like for Christmas. And I'd also like to encourage us to write a letter to Jesus, to have mm. your kids be intentional, and you help them write that letter if you need to, and to just tell him what they've been thankful for this year. And some things that happened in their life, it'll almost teach them how to write a Christmas letter, a Christmas card later in life of, hey, we let our our friends and our our neighbors, our family know what's been going on in our lives and how grateful we are for them. And just, you know, some milestones. It helps us to remember because the Bible tells us over and over again, remember and tell, remember and tell. And we get to tell of God's faithfulness 
when we write those Christmas cards, uh, you know, we're, we're not bragging, we're, we're bragging on God and saying, uh, look what God did in our lives this year. And we are so grateful. It's not us, it's him. And so sit down with your kids and, or, or like I said, you know, grandkids, nieces and nephews, neighbors, anyone that, if you're a babysitter, we just gave you hours and hours and hours of things that you can do with children when you're babysitting besides watching TV and um, have them write a letter talking about this last year and what's happened and what Jesus has done in their life and saying, thank you. Okay, I totally love that. So this coming Saturday, Jim and I um, are going to have the opportunity to spend several hours with Evelyn and Emma, and they um, are almost seven and uh, and almost five. And so um, I'm going to do a bunch of these things. I'm Perfect. just going to do a bunch of them. Yeah, uh, and yeah. it's going to be so fun. We're definitely doing a prayer garland. I love that. We're definitely going to write a letter to Jesus. I totally love that. Um, Evelyn can do the one where you give her the name of a nation, but the part of that that Emma will love, Emma's my uh, my grandchild who um, is autistic, but the part of that that she's going to love, um, I'm going to let her hold the globe mm. because she knows um, that he holds the whole world in his hands and she likes to sing that. And so yes. um, we're going to include that as a part of that little exercise, um, just focusing on you know how Jesus comes as a savior of the world. And uh, mm-hmm. that'll be that'll be a fun part of that as well. I just love it. And then we'll turn on the lights on the Christmas tree, and that will be awesome, uh, an opportunity yeah. to talk about Jesus being the light of the world. I just love it. I love it. It's so great. great. Kathy, yeah. yeah, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Always a delight to talk with you, um, and we look forward to the next opportunity. Thanks so much. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. We'll be right back. I have a listener asking a question, um, what exactly is praising the Lord? Um, I think I'm going to answer that by saying any time that your heart is turned toward God, any time, any moment your heart is turned toward God, any time you give God the honor, do, um, do Him. You are praising Him. Sometimes we do it in words. Sometimes we do it in, um, in size too deep for words. Sometimes we do it in song. We often do it in prayer. Sometimes we do it by ourselves. We often do it together. Um, When you think of praising God, you are lifting not only uh, holy hands to him. You're potentially doing so with a bowed head. You might be doing so with an uplifted face. It is the, the way in which your spirit responds to the creator in a way that um, you're delighting in him. You are praising his name. You are praising the reality that you have a knowledge of him restored by the power of the Holy Spirit and the person of Christ on and on and on. And so let us praise the Lord. There's another. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.